my heart. If you will just stand for a moment, we're going to open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and Acts chapter 2. That's where we'll spend most of our time. In fact, just about all of our time in Acts chapter 2. I want to say to our guests, thank you for being with us. We are a highly organized and highly orthodox church family, so... We want to thank you for coming and being a part of our service. We are a family, and uh, this is not a religious center. It's a family center where we come together in relationship with our Lord and Savior, and uh, we enjoy our time around His precious Word. In verse number 20 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul has argued concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ to a group of people that did not believe that he was bodily risen. It's a religion that was started by the Greeks called Gnosticism, believing that Jesus Christ was an emanation from God. His body was nothing more than just fleshly matter that is considered to be evil. And when Jesus Christ put off that body, he left that evil body behind and his spirit ascended back uh, to the creator that gave him that spirit. And uh, the apostle Paul is arguing that Christ did not emanate uh, from the heavenly father as a spirit. He came from the heavenly father through the seed of a woman He was born into this world with a fleshly body that was without sin because it was the seed of God. And the body of Jesus Christ, when he died, did not see any corruption, but it was changed through a process that we could call a metamorphosis, to where now it is an immortal body but has the appearance of the same physical body that he once had but with the power to ascend into heaven. And one day our vile bodies will be changed unto the fashion of his glorious body. And so those out there so foolish to believe in uh, this false doctrine, which God truly hates, the apostle Paul is doing his best to set them straight. So in verse number 20, he says, Now is Christ risen from the dead, and become the first fruits of them that slept. Christ was raised on the day of the feast of first fruits because he is the first fruit from the dead, which means there's going to be a great harvest coming later. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. By man being Adam, by man meaning Christ. So for As in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Heavenly Father, again, we ask your blessing upon our time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be comfortable.
if you have a bulletin, you'll see in the notes that the introduction we have uh, the uniqueness of the Lord Jesus Christ based on some fundamental truths. We understand that it holds a unique place in Christianity. It is very fundamental to our faith, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and I say the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's no other religion out there uh, that is based upon the founder of that faith dying for the sins of the people who believe in that person. And then rising from the grave as he had promised and assuring them that they would be raised up to go into eternal glory with him. Only the Lord Jesus Christ has made that promise. And according to the word of God, as we understand, as we understand with all other religions, that uh, they have no infallible proofs of any of the backings that they declare as prophets. Muhammad, as we understand, claims to be a greater prophet than Jesus. They believe that Muhammad was the fulfillment of Deuteronomy 18 in verse number 15. And yet, as a prophet, he never once prophesied anything that was fulfilled. He never once performed any miracles. His body is buried in Mecca, and they go there once a year in dedication of uh, the event that this great prophet died, and he was the greatest prophet of all, representing Allah. And yet, <clears throat> they believe that Allah is one God. And then we have a movement out there that calls themselves Christians, but they're polytheistic. And they made prophecy through their prophet, Joseph Smith, and uh, yet uh, none of his prophecy was ever fulfilled. Uh, he even declared that there were men on the moon that dressed like Quakers. Uh, and uh, he added so much to the word of God, just like Muhammad believed that his words were inspired and they added to the word of God. So as the Muslims hold the Bible as part of the Word of God, both Old Testament and New Testament, they pick and choose what they want to build upon the Quran. So the Mormons do the same with uh, what they've added with the angels, or the angels' revelation from the book of Moroni. But only the Bible proves itself with the Bible. It was prophesied in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15 when man had fallen into sin, which according to our understanding from uh, Genesis chapter 1, as we understand the Hebrew language, that it was about 33 and a half years old when Adam had fallen into sin, was driven from the garden, and the tree of life was taken up into heaven. So 4,000 years later, Jesus Christ came as promised because he is the son of righteousness and God created the son to light up the world on the fourth day. So Christ came into the world in the fourth generation because one day with the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. And Christ has lit up the world as prophesied with uh, the light of hope. 
for he is the resurrection and the life, and all who believe in him, he will raise up. And so Jesus Christ came into this world with a mission in mind, and it was of the will of the Father that he come and that he go to a cross. He was not from the seed of Adam, he was from the seed of God. The Bible says that God would provide redemption through the seed of the woman. The seed of the woman is not reference to her having seed, but to a seed that is a seed apart from that of Adam. And since we're all seed from Adam, the seed of this woman came from another source. Jesus revealed that source in John chapter 3 and verse number 16. That's why all the liberal Bibles want to take out the word begotten. And they put the word only son in there because the word begotten comes from the, the word genosis, which means that he comes from God. He is the seed of God. He is the son of God. He is God, Emmanuel, in the flesh. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son five times it is used by John throughout the writings of John. And five times is taken out of the liberal Bibles because much of it goes back to this old religion that was invented by Satan that says you will become gods. And according to what we understand from the Gnostics, if we are all emanating from God through our spirits, then truly we are gods. We are holy. The only thing that is unholy is matter. We're living in a very wicked and confused world, and this new, what they might call, you know, new religion is an old religion. It goes all the way back to the time in which Adam and Eve were beguiled by Satan. So Jesus Christ came into the world to die upon a cross and was buried and rose again. It prophesied hundreds of times at the cross alone what was prophesied of Jesus was fulfilled. 33 Old Testament prophecies just in those six hours while he was on the cross. We find that never mentioned or nothing like that of any other prophet outside of the realm of Christianity or the Judeo-Christian faith. So the question is, if they're truly a religion of God, as we think of all these other religions, where is the evidence to prove that they are truly religions of God? The Word of God makes it very clear that our faith is centered around Christ. It is Christ-centered. Everything that we see from the Bible, Christ in the beginning, Christ in the middle, Christ in the end, Adam Eve's Eve sinning, Christ is promised. The Old Testament gives to us the story of the genealogy of this seed of the woman that would come and bring redemption to the world. We get to the gospel, we have the fulfillment of it and the ministry of it and the promise of what is to come and the establishment of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we come to the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, and we find that this book that was written, the Bible, that contains the entire story of the Lord Jesus Christ, was written over a period of 1,500 years by more than 40 
authors, yet it comes together as the Biblios, the book. So now we have Adam being brought back into the garden, Adam freely eating of the tree of life, all because of the last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is an amazing book. There's no other book out there like it. And that's something that we must understand. And it declares that everything that reveals about the Lord Jesus Christ comes to us with infallible proofs. As we see in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 3, for he showed himself alive after his passions by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days, being seen of them. They handled him. They touched him. They watched him as he ascended up into heaven. He reminded them that as promised by the heavenly Father, on the 50th day, the Holy Spirit would come and take residence within their hearts and power would come upon them and the understanding and they would be able to preach the word of God with boldness. So they waited in the upper room of Jerusalem for 10 days. And finally, on the day of Pentecost, 50th from the top is what Pentecost means. From the top on the 50th day, the Holy Spirit came down, dancing upon the shoulders of the 12 apostles as cloven tongues. And all the audience, which were by the thousands, had witnessed them. As they stood there with cloven tongues of fire, dancing upon their shoulders. And there were as many as 16 various dialects of Jews from all the regions of the world coming there to keep the feast of Passover. And every one of them heard the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the tongue of the language that, uh, of the country they had come from. And they were all amazed and could not understand what is this. And so finally Peter began to preach to them and tell them what this is, is infallible proofs by the witness of our Savior and what he had promised and what he has done and what he will do for you. Amen. And so what was promised to them and what has been promised to us, there is no other religion that makes such a promise. Amen. I promise you that I will raise you up. I promise you uh, that I will bring you into my presence. If you will only believe my message, I will promise you, I will give to you the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will open your heart and give to you an understanding so that you will know that I am the Christ. You will know that I am risen. You will know that I am God incarnate in human flesh. And I will give to you boldness to go into the world and to preach the message of this gospel to all the world. What other religion does that? As we think of all the various calendars that are in the world today that are used by various religions, there's one that stands out that is used by virtually all modern countries and is called the Gregorian calendar. The Gregorian calendar <clears throat> is abbreviated with 
the letters capital A period, capital D period, standing for Anno Domini Nostri Jesus Christi, which means in the day of our Lord. It measures time going back to the event of Christ's birth. The reason it measures time going back to the event of Christ's birth because what happened at the end of Christ's life, that God raised him from the dead. Undisputable, infallible proofs declaring that Jesus Christ is risen. Witness by more than 500 people, witnessed time and time again over a period of 40 days. As 500 watched him as he ascended up into heaven, it turned the world upside down. And as a result of that, today, we have what is known as a Gregorian calendar. But as most of you know, in the 1700s, about 1703, a group of Jews that decided these were Jewish scholars and leaders decided that it should be changed to the common error so it would be neutral to religion. And so they changed it to the common error A.D. and B.C. before the common error. But it really didn't become official until the early 1900s when it began to be taught as the common error. But the amazing thing that most people don't understand is that the dividing point between the, the common error and before the common error is still the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, something that they are not able to get away from. So don't tell me, excuse me, it's not in reference to after his death or before Christ, Excuse me, it's not in reference before the day of our Lord. It's in reference to the common era. No, it's in reference to the day of our Lord. Amen. The reason some like to say after his death, because after his death he was risen, that put it in the force concerning in the day of our Lord beginning at his birth. What an amazing scene. A miraculous birth. Jesus Christ, born of a virgin. What a amazing life. Walking on water, healing the sick, raising the dead, feeding multitudes with just a few fish and a few loaves of bread. Proving time and time again that He is the Christ. We find that another thing that is so unique to the fundamental gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that makes it so outstanding is its power to change lives. Amen. That the message of the gospel has the ability to pierce within the hearts of those that do not believe and within the hearts of those that are strapped by sin and in bondage by sin and chained down by the wickedness and the ungodliness of a lifestyle of addiction or pornography or fornication or whatever hate and bitterness and transform their lives to where their lives are truly changed. One great illustration is a man by the name of Saul that hated Christianity, that hated the church, went about with great disputing of hatred, locking up Christians, murdering Christians, having them put to death, and the Christian world fearing this man because he came with the authority and the power that was backed by the Sanhedrin 
with the strength of the Roman government. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ was able to get a hold of his heart and transform him. There's the power of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. Not just only to a man by the name of Saul, that means big man, who changed his name later to Paul, which means little man, but to every one of us. Amen. You may be a big man or a big person now, but when Christ gets a hold of your heart, if he truly does, he humbles you to the point to where you realize you're small in his sight because he's God and you are a man. Thirdly, we understand it's fundamental to our faith and our reception of this salvation. It is important that we understand that we must believe it from the heart. It comes from the heart and then it's confessed with the mouth. I'm afraid most confessions today come from the mouth with nothing in the heart. I remember years ago talking with a man, he was quite well-to-do. We were picking up his bus children, and he lived in a beautiful home, had a great lifestyle, and he had a heart attack, and I went to the hospital to witness to him, and at that time, he wasn't ready to get saved, and he said, well, I've done what you've asked me to do, and I've done it with my mouth, but it's not here in my heart. Later, I went and visited with him in his home, and he was telling me, he says, you know, I don't understand why you keep bothering me. If my children want to believe that, that's fine. That's why I allow them to go. I want them to have a choice. But I've, been, I've done okay without, without your God in my life. Look at this home. I got two beautiful children. I have a beautiful wife. I have uh, two brand new automobiles out in my garage. He says, look at my bar here. I got just about every expensive a drink that you'd want, bourbon, whiskey, whatever you want, gin, it's there. Some of those bottles right there, he picked up a bottle of bourbon and sold $300 just for this one bottle. What do I need? What do I need, your God? Well, then he had a massive heart attack. I was preaching to our, our teenagers on a Sunday night in the 6 o'clock hour, one hour before our evening service. We used to have a meeting with... We call it the teens meeting in the blue room. We were singing those songs, he is able, he is able, I will make you fishers of men. And then we, I'd, I'd preach to those teens. We'd have about 30, 35 or so that would meet. In fact, Mike was even up there. And uh, <clears throat> here come the pastor interrupting the service and said, uh, Brother Jim, Mr. Gamble's had a major heart attack. And his wife is standing out here. She wants you to go with her to the hospital. Mr. Gamble wants to see you. So my wife and I went. We rode in a brand-new Cadillac. First time we ever got to ride in a brand-new Cadillac. We went to the ER, and there he was. He was ready to get saved. After he got saved, he got rid of his bar. After he got saved, he turned his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the transforming power of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel of Jesus Christ can do in the heart and the life of those that put their faith in him. We understand that the, fundam that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ must be received by you believing from your heart before you confess with your mouth. Have you trusted him fully from your heart? We also understand that the 
Gospel is fundamental to the name that we bear, the name Christian. Do you bear the name Christian? You see, it was given to them out of derision. They were first called Christians at Antioch. Later, the Apostle Peter made it very clear that as Christians, uh, they should not be ashamed of the sufferings and the trials that they should go through. For he declared unto them, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Those that put their faith and obeyed the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ are not to be ashamed. But those that do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, as we go through suffering, we need to understand how great their suffering is going to be and how much worse their suffering is going to be. God has made it very clear that as Christians, we're not delivered from the pains and the sorrows of this world. We're not delivered from those that hate Christ and hate us for loving Christ. As we go through this world, there's going to be trials and there's going to be persecution. There's going to be suffering because we bear the name Christian. But the Apostle Peter assured us that whatever we go through is, cannot be compared to the great suffering that they're going to go through and the eternal hell that they're going to suffer as a result of rejecting the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, that was my introduction. Amen. This morning I want to preach to you concerning what Peter proclaimed concerning the gospel. In Acts chapter 2 and verse number 22 through verse number 39, we find that he quotes Old Testament prophecy and how that David had foresaw what God was going to do. He then declares that Jesus is more than Savior. He's more than the Christ. He is God incarnate in human flesh. And then he shows the people who were listening to the message on how to respond. As I said earlier, it's been 50 days since Christ was crucified. Forty days after his resurrection, he appeared unto the disciples and unto many of the women and other disciples. And then finally, he had appeared unto as many as 500 at one time. At the Mount of Olivet, he ascended up into heaven. And when he ascended up into heaven, the multitude that was there watched him as he went away. And suddenly two angels stood and appeared before them and promised them that this same Jesus that you've seen ascend into heaven one day will come in like manner. He's coming very soon, but before he comes to earth, he's going to take out his bride. And then he's going to prepare the earth for his coming. And so on that day of Pentecost, as they were told to go... And there wait and tarry until the Holy Spirit came. They waited for 10 days in the upper room. In Acts chapter 1, we're told about their waiting time. And finally, we come to Acts chapter 2. And on the day of Pentecost, as Moses came down on the first Pentecost with the very law of God, the Holy Spirit came down this time with the very word of God and placed it in the heart of those that believed. And they began to preach, and God had showed himself in a miraculous way. 
as these apostles suddenly had their eyes open, no longer fearful or afraid, and spoke the word with boldness, as there were appearing as though there were tongues of fire dancing upon them. And Peter stood forth as they were preaching, and he preached. And Peter preached on that day these words. He said in verse number 22 through verse number 22, or I mean verse number 24, that the gospel is based on nothing more than the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He said, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him, him being delivered by determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God had raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Wow, what an amazing statement. The Apostle Peter pointed out the very fact that the Lord Jesus Christ came forth with the credentials declaring and proving that he is the Christ by the life that he lived, by the miracles that he performed, and by the fact that he died and the grave could not hold him. Amen. Death could not hold him. The skeletal hands of death that tried to chain down his body as the stone rolled across that tomb could not hold him. God had made promise that on the third day, he would raise him up. Excuse me, God had made promise. No, Jesus Christ made promise to destroy this body in three days. I will raise it up. But wait a minute. Paul said he was raised up by the Spirit of God. Why? Because he is God. He is the triune God. There in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ lay both the Spirit of God and the Heavenly Father. All three in one, all bound up together, and the power of God overcame the power of death. Death could not hold him down. The stone was thrown back, and he is risen. This same Savior has promised to us that he is the resurrection and life, and he that believeth in me shall never die, believest thou this. We have been assured that we have been delivered from death. Or as our bodies is concerned, if he does not come soon and take us out and we go by way of undertaker, he says, I will raise it up. And he had made that promise. He has pointed all these things out. What is interesting here is we are told that this whole thing was ordained of God. It was God that put him in the hands of men. It was God for the foreknowledge of God from the beginning of time foreknew what his son must go through. It was determined before man was ever created. God knew from the foundations of this world what would happen. He didn't plan it that way. He just has the knowledge and he knows because with God time doesn't exist. He says that he sees everything in the present. And God understood what was going to happen as far as man is concerned. And so it was all planned out. God knew exactly what he would do. Because there was an enemy in heaven that had to be cast out. 
someone that God had created, an angel that was beautiful and powerful, that was always before the presence of God as a cherubim, that would lift up the Lord and by crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But somehow he got it in his heart that he could lift himself above God. And he was cast out. But one day very soon he's going to be cast down to earth and great tribulation is going to come upon this world unlike anything that we've ever seen. But God eventually is going to cast him down to a bottomless pit where he'll be chained for a thousand years and King Jesus will reign on earth. Amen. Amen. The Apostle Peter went on to say in verses 25 through verse number 31, how that it was all determined and prophesied of old by a man by the name of King David. For David, he says in verse number 25, speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life, and thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, the apostle Peter now, when he's through preaching, as he quotes from David, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, and his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. Amen. You see, for those three days and three nights, his flesh saw no corruption, because death was not holding to his body. Rigor mortis could not set in. Death could not set in. The Lord laid it down. The Lord raises it up. Yes, it was a dead body, but God was raising it up to be a living body, but an immortal living body that would be glorious, that would be powerful, no longer changed to the limitations of His humanity, but a body that could send into heaven and be seated at the right, hand of the throne of God and intercede on our behalf as our high priest. That's the God we serve. That's the risen Lord that you must invite within your heart. If you cannot believe that He is God incarnate in human flesh that's able to send into heaven and stand before our Heavenly Father and intercede on your behalf, then friend, you don't know the Jesus we know. So preach, David preach the hope that David was assured of. As David looked forward to the cross, we look backwards to the cross. The same joy that David had and the hope that David had of knowing that God was in his presence, God now has revealed his presence unto us. Amen. The moment you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
the Holy Spirit comes within your heart and begins to bear witness with you that you are a child of God. And as He bears witness with your heart that you are a child of God, then you believe with, the, with that of David that Jesus Christ is life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that life gives us hope and that life assures us that He is there because the Spirit of life dwells within our souls, bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God and that one day we'll spend all of eternity with Him. Do you have the Spirit of God living within your heart? Has He filled you with hope, hope that fadeth not away, joy that brings happiness to your soul and contentment to your life? And fills you with the abundance of God's blessings. Do you know Him? Is this risen Savior in your life assuring you that one day you'll stand in His presence? The Apostle Peter went on to declare that the ascended Jesus is more than Messiah. He is God. You see, John in 1 John chapter 4 made it very clear if you cannot believe that He is the Christ, then you're, you, you've fallen prey to the Antichrist, and you are Antichrist. You cannot say that He is Christ and not believe that He is God incarnate in human flesh. The Mormons say that He is Christ, but they do not believe that He's God incarnate in human flesh. Uh, Islam says that He is the great prophet, but they don't believe that He is God incarnate in human flesh. You see, much of the world today does not put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They put their faith in religion. Those that put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they do not trust in religion. They trust in a relationship. That relationship becomes real. He walks with you. He talks with you. He comes into your life, and you sense His presence. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. He says, if any man will hear my voice and open the door, he says, I, I will come into him. The word there, into, is a preposition. And it means that I will take residence in your life and I will sup with you. That's an old English word that means we're going to have fellowship together. Our fellowship will be through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. For if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we will have fellowship one with another. And His blood shall cleanse us from all of our sins. Amen. 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 But we must understand that He is Christ. We must understand that He is more than Christ. That He is God incarnate in human flesh. That He is the Emmanuel. Thomas said, unless I see him and take my hand and thrust it in his side and my fingers and put it into the prints of the nails in his hands, I will not believe. And Jesus showed up on the eighth day and Thomas, when he saw, he fell on his knees and he said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, because thou hast seen, thou believest. But blessed are those that have not seen yet believing. Amen. Amen. We believe it because the Word of God is real. We believe it because the Word of God is alive. We believe it because the Word of God has taken residence in our heart. 
He that hear my words and open the door. His words are life. If we were to serve a dead Savior, those words would not be life. And everyone out there today that's serving some great prophet that they call a great prophet, they're serving something that's dead. Muhammad is dead. His grave is in Mecca. Buddha is dead. Confucius is dead. And all those that trust in all of those are confused, by the way. But we who put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're alive because he's alive. There's no tomb that we go and visit. We know that that tomb is empty for the Lord rolled it away. The Bible makes it very clear through the Apostle Paul that Jesus Christ was raised for our justification. We are told in verse number 25 of Romans chapter 4 that he was delivered for our offenses. He was raised again for our justification. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have access by faith into this grace, where we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You see, I understand that I have a Savior in heaven, and when I stumble and fall, He's standing before the Heavenly Father, and He justifies every moment of my life by saying, Yes, He's guilty, but I died for Him, and He stands justified because of my redemption, because of my blood, and He does not stop. He is forever standing before the Heavenly Father, as we are told there in Hebrews chapter 9, interceding on your behalf and my behalf. And in closing, so the audience asked question, asked Peter the question, (laughs) what must we do? You know, see, Peter, he just didn't preach him the gospel. He gave him an opportunity to respond to the gospel. Now, I have a problem with these preachers that will preach but never give people the opportunity to respond. I is always, by the grace of God, I tell folks, you know, if you're going to ask me to do a, a, a wedding or a memorial or a funeral service, I'm going to preach the gospel. Amen. There's always someone out there that needs to hear it. But I just don't preach it. I give them an opportunity to receive it. And so they're asking Peter, okay, Peter, what do we do now? And so we read in verse number 37, as they heard, they were pricked in their hearts. You see, there's no other message that pricks the hearts of people like the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You get a large group of people together and you preach the gospel, someone's going to get saved. It's just that powerful. I mean, we we can talk about Frank Sinatra doing it his way and nothing happens. But when we talk about doing it God's way, things begin to happen. We tell people they're sinners and there's a hell. And the wages of their sins is what's going to take them to that eternal hell. We tell them that Jesus Christ loves you so much that he came into this world and he went to a cross to deliver you from that horrible place. But here's what you must do. People respond. Not all, but many do. If the gospel is powerful unto salvation. So they were pricked in their hearts. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? 
What did Peter tell them to do? In verse number 38, he said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. You know, I have a problem with people say, Well, I've been saved, but I'm not ready to be baptized right now. Well, do you believe? Yeah, I believe. Well, you're no better off than the demons. Because the demons, they believe. But they do something more. They tremble. But there's a problem with the devil and the demons. They believe and they tremble, but they do not obey. They do not repent. Talk about how you believe all day long, but are you going to repent? Are you going to allow God to transform your life and to change you? To take those want-tos away? To allow the Holy Spirit to come into your heart and have residence in your life? To convict you of sin and to reprove you of your sins and reprove you of righteousness? Are you going to do what Jesus Christ did not ask us to do? He did not suggest us to do, but he commanded us to do. Are you going to be baptized? You know, I said, well, preacher, I'll be baptized, but I don't like the way you do it. I want to be sprinkled. I mean, that's just a lot. That's, that's a little more, I, you know. It, it's just so humbling to have someone put me under the water. I don't know that I want to do that. I like the idea of sprinkling. Jesus humbled himself. John said, wait a minute, I need to be baptized. You and Jesus said, no, suffer it to be so. Why? Because it fulfills all righteousness. You say you're truly saved. You say you truly believe. Have you repented and followed the Lord in believer's baptism? You say, well, preacher, does baptism save? No, Jesus saves. But if you're truly saved, you will be baptized. For the Bible says... He that believeth and is saved will be baptized. He that believeth not is baptized not. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned. They repented. They were baptized. The Holy Spirit took residence in their life. Later, the apostle Paul, rebellious against God, he was called Saul at that time, going down to Damascus to persecute more Christians, arrest them, and carry them off to Jerusalem. He had an encounter with Jesus. There, he met Jesus, but he wasn't saved until he was taken down to Damascus. And there at Damascus, there was a man that came and preached to him the gospel, and he received the gospel, and he was saved. And then he was baptized. The Holy Spirit came upon him the moment that he was saved. And he said, yes, I want to be baptized. I no longer want to be a Pharisee. I no longer want to be a Sanhedrin. I want to be a Christian. And he repented of his lifestyle. He repented of his hate. He repented of the direction he was going in. And he started going in the direction that God wanted him to go in. Has your life been changed? Has the gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ transformed you? That's what it does. And I've seen it down through my years of ministry. And praise the Lord. 
I've seen some wonderful testimonies of what God is able to do. I wonder this morning with heads bowed. I'm sure most people that come on Easter Sunday show up just to let know Jesus, they're there. But is he in your heart? Yes. 